All right. Well, good morning, River City. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, like uh, Steph said, if you are new or visiting, uh, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you get connected to the community here at River City. If there's anything that we can do to help do that, come find me or Steph or anybody that's up here. Somebody looks like they've been around here a time or two. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. I'd love to help you get connected to the community here at River City. Uh, this morning, we're going to be starting a new series where we're going to be this fall, basically between now and Christmas. And and it's a series that's connected with the first part of our vision as a church. And like Steph said this morning, our vision at church is the first part is that we'd be a church that's growing in the gospel. And when we say that our vision is to be a church that's growing in the gospel, what, what we mean is that, is that we want to be, as a church, we want to be characterized by increasingly understanding and believing and living in light of the truths of the gospel, the, the truths about who Jesus is and all that he has done on our behalf. And so, because and the, the reason why that is so central to our vision here at River City is because we believe that the Bible teaches that the gospel isn't merely the foundation of our our faith. Instead, it's more like the hub at the center of the wheel of our faith, that, that every part of our faith and our, our lives needs to connect to if it's going to work properly. The gospel's central to our salvation. It's central to our sanctification, which is the fancy theological word for our spiritual growth or growing up in Christ. And the gospel is central to our glorification, which is the fancy theological word for our eternal enjoyment of Jesus for all time. And, and so in other words, the gospel isn't just what saves us. The gospel is the thing that changes our hearts and our lives ongoingly every day. It's the thing that transforms us into the people that God has saved us to be. And so the way that we grow up spiritually then primarily isn't through uh, self-effort or determination or just like wanting it enough somehow. Um, and neither is it my merely just practicing spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible or praying. Those things are good. They're important. But that's not the how of growing up spiritually Instead, the way that we come to look more and more like Jesus is by growing in our understanding of the gospel of who he is and all that he has done, and by learning to believe and apply those truths to every area of our lives. Now, I know that if you've been around River City for any length of time, you've heard me talk about that idea in some way, shape, or form. And you're like, cool, I'm on that team. I think. What exactly is that? What exactly is that idea talking about? How does that get worked out? Because I think the idea of growing in the gospel seems really good, but it can often feel a little bit nebulous. It can often feel a little bit abstract. And so what I want to do in our series here between now and Christmas is basically try to connect the dots in scripture for us between the, the truths of the gospel and the transformed life that the Bible calls us to have, that the, that the gospel creates in us. I want to show you how believing and responding to the truths of the gospel is the, is the one thing that not only can, but will actually produce the kind of spiritual fruit that the Bible says should characterize people that follow Jesus, those that who, who belong to him. And so that's where we're headed in this series. And so with that in mind, uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into our time in God's word this morning together. Uh, God, we come before you this morning, we're just grateful for you. We're thankful that you would give us a space and a, and a time to gather together to study your word and to, and to get to sing and to worship and to praise you, God. 
Uh, we're thankful as well, especially for your word, that you would keep it for us so that in it we might know you and we might uh, come to love and follow and serve you in light of it. And so uh, we come this morning to your word, God, uh, recognizing that we really need you. Um, God, we need you to empower, I need you to empower me to, to speak and teach not just what is right, but uh, with power and authority, and I can't do that on my own. God, and we need you to enable us to respond rightly to your word, and that's something only your spirit can enable to happen in our hearts. And so uh, we come dependent on you this morning. Uh, we look forward to how you will meet us in our need for you, God, for, for our good and for your glory. We pray all that this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be, uh, in this morning and throughout our series actually, we're going to be kind of using uh, Galatians chapter 5 and, the, and uh, this section of scripture. It's kind of like a base camp for where we're headed in our series coming up here. In Galatians chapter 5, it contains what is probably one of the most clear descriptions of the kind of spiritual fruit, the kind of a transformed life that characterizes someone who follows Jesus, someone who has trusted him, someone who belongs to him, Paul will say. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul, he lists what I referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard of that before. Uh, the list we'll see it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as we begin our series today, taking a look at Galatians chapter 5, what I want to do is I want to highlight how the fruit of the Spirit, that, that list that Paul gives us, it's that list of a, what it looks like for a transformed life and a transformed kind of character, what that that Paul describes, it's not a list of qualities that we're meant to just try hard, that we're meant to uh, strive to attain. Instead, it's a, it's a list of qualities that not only can, but will be produced inevitably when the gospel takes deep root in our hearts and in our lives. In other words, throughout our series here, here's, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the gospel roots that produce the Spirit's fruits in our series, right? That's what we're, that's what we're after, connecting the dots between the, the gospel truths that produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so, uh, to that end, we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, verse 16 begins this way. And so I say, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. For they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. For the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit then is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
See, what's happening in the book of Galatians is, is that Paul's writing to a group of Christians who had received the message of the gospel. They had they received the good news that Jesus died in their place for their sins and that through faith in him, they could be not only made right with God, but have a relationship with him both now and forever. But sadly, this group of Christians, they, they had fallen prey to the idea that although it was faith in the gospel that had saved them, that had made them right with God, that it was going to be their own effort and their own discipline that was going to be the means by which they grew up spiritually. And what we see Paul doing throughout the book is course-correcting this kind of thinking. He's, he's refuting this kind of thinking, and what he's doing for them is he's reframing, in a lot of ways, the very nature of what it means to grow up spiritually, how spiritual growth happens. In Galatians 3, he writes them, he says, Are you so foolish then, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He tells them, if you were saved by faith in the gospel, just what makes you think that your own effort is going to be enough to like take it from there? In the beginning of chapter 5, he's continuing to refute people in the church who are, who are teaching that the way that Christians change, the, the way that our lives begin to look different, the way that we grow up spiritually is by relying on external rules and regulations, basically by relying on our own effort, on our own discipline. And he, he tells them in Galatians, he says, that's not how it works. That's not how spiritual growth happens. That's not how you change Instead, you don't grow spiritually just by trying hard to be like Jesus. You do it, he says, by walking closely with Jesus. Verse, uh, verse 16, he says, So I say this, walk by the Spirit, and then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, Paul goes on, and what he does is he explains that in the heart and the life of every Christian, there's this battle that's happening. It's a, it's a war that is waging every day of our lives, now until Jesus comes back to get us. And it's a war, it's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And when he's talking about flesh, he's not talking about just like your body. He's talking about our, our sinful desires, our, our heart-level desires that are opposed to God. And the, those desires, he says, they're in contrast, they're in competition. They are, they are against God's desires. And so there's this battle between what our sinful hearts want and what God wants. And the only way that you overcome those sinful desires, the only way that you start looking more and more like Jesus, the perfect expression of what God, how God wants us to be and live, is by walking by the Spirit, Paul says, by walking with Jesus. You see, the battle that's at war within us is not about that any amount of self-effort or determination can win. Because here's the deal, it's not a battle about effort. It's a battle over desires, Paul says. It's much deeper than effort can go. You see, in John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me, many translations use the word abide. If you abide in me and I in you, he says, then you will bear much fruit. See, Paul's words here in Galatians 5, they're just an echo of what Jesus himself said. That walking with him, abiding in him, that's how spiritual growth happens. But more than that, it's, it's, it's inevitable when that happens. When we are walking with Jesus, spiritual growth is the natural result of time spent walking with Jesus. 
And so Paul contrasts these two kinds of heart-level desires. And he says, when we're walking with the flesh, when we're, when we're going along with our sinful desires, the kind of fruit that inevitably gets produced, the thing that always results, is stuff like sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and jealousy. And the list goes on. That's the fruit. That is the natural result of when we, when we allow ourselves to be led by our sinful desires. But when you're walking with Jesus, when you're walking following his Spirit's lead in your life, when you're walking in the Spirit, he says, the kind of fruit that gets produced, the evidences that you see in your life, the kind of actions and attitudes and behaviors that come out, they're characterized, he says, by being the fruit of the Spirit instead. And there's this incredible list that we see here. And it's important that we understand a little bit more about what Paul is talking about here. You see, he says that what happens is we increasingly become characterized. When the gospel takes deep roots in our lives, when we're walking with Jesus, what happens is we increasingly become characterized by a love for God and a love for others. It's a kind of love that's, that's not based on what someone else can do for you. It's not based on how someone else makes you feel about yourself. It's a kind of genuine, selfless kind of love. He says you have a, you'll have a kind of joy and a peace that's not dependent on the kind of blessings in your life that you're experiencing in the moment, nor they're dependent on the kind of circumstances or situations you're encountering. He says you'll be someone who's characterized by patience. You deal with disappointment and without lashing out in anger or when people hurt you or when people let you down, uh, you extend grace freely. You're kind not in the kind of random drive-by acts of kindness, events-oriented kindness kind of thing, but in like a pervasive kind of way in which, in which seeking to serve and bless others is a way of life for you. You become a man or woman of integrity. That's what goodness is about. There aren't layers to you. There aren't just multiple facades that you put up. You're not a phony or a hypocrite. You're consistent and integral throughout. You become faithful, not just to God, but to people as well. You're someone who's characterized by being loyal and true. You're not opportunistic, and you're gentle. You don't just walk around with a sense of entitlement, nor do you walk around with a sense of inferiority. Instead, there's a humility that characterizes your life. It enables you to love and serve and care for others in a kind of selfless way. And above all that, you have self-control. You have desires, bodily desires, but they don't rule you. You can say no to food or sex or anger or revenge or the need to be recognized or the need for power or the need for control or comfort or approval. You can say no to those things because they don't rule your existence. What's so important that you notice here as we study this is that Paul is not saying that some of these things will characterize you when the gospel takes root in your heart. It, the list is not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Commentators for years, for centuries, have, have acknowledged that there is this very specific grammatical thing that Paul is doing. He's using the, the singular uh, word to describe multiple things here, and what he's doing is he's pointing out that these are not separate virtues, separate values that you kind of just need to work on adding on to your life, that you need to just become more loving or become more patient or become more kind. That's, it's not a list of things you're supposed to be working at to just get better at. In, instead, what 
what happens is that they are evidences of the gospel's transforming work in you. And when the gospel takes deep root in your heart, these kinds of things, they get produced. They are inevitable results of the gospel's transforming work in us. And I think one thing I just want to highlight here is that sometimes what can happen is we can confuse personality traits for spiritual fruit, right? Some people are just more even keel, right? They're a little more stoic, right? They're, they're not up and down with so much stuff is going on. And often it can be easy to look at people like that and just think, wow, they're just so patient. How, they just have so much peace. How do they do that? But when you look at the rest of the life, they're not characterized by someone who's full of joy. They're not characterized by someone who loves others, someone who is kind. Or maybe there's a, a Christian who you think is just really gentle. They're really kind to others. But, but they, don't ha- they lack almost all self-control. Or maybe somebody who's really self-controlled themselves, but they lack no kindness or gentleness when it comes to, to the way that others are wrestling or struggling. You see, when you find one virtue that is way out of balance with the others, when you find one like, this is really great in this person's life, but there's a whole lot missing in these other spaces, then you're likely, you're not looking at the fruit of the gospel's work in somebody's heart and life. What you're likely looking at is just some personality traits. You see, because where Jesus is and where the gospel is reforming and retransforming people's lives, all of the fruit begin to grow as one. You become someone who is full of love and grace and patience and compassion. You become someone who's kind and gentle. And it's not that they all grow in perfect symmetry in our lives in every way, shape, or form, right? But it's that they all grow up in us inevitably. They're a natural result of what it means to be transformed by the gospel. That's what happens. And it can be easy, I think, to look at that list and to think, Man, there are some, there's some stuff on that list that does not characterize me. I think all of us can, can, can look at that kind of a thing. And, and oftentimes what happens is we respond to that by saying, all right, I need to work on this quality. All right, I'm not that loving. I, I'm, just, I'm just kind of a frustrated person. I need to work on being more loving. Or maybe we see ourselves a lack of patience in us and we think, I just need to be more patient, right? And that works about as well as New Year's resolutions, which is to say it doesn't, right? It doesn't work because the kind of transformed life and character that the Bible is laying out for us here, it's not something you can produce in yourself. It's not something that any amount of self-effort, there's not, it's not something that any amount of hard work or just kind of like gutting it out and wanting it enough produces in you. You, you can't make it true of yourself. See, just like a fruit tree doesn't try to, go, to, to grow fruit, It just does because of the nature of its roots. You see, it's the fruit of the gospel that's transforming. It's the fruit of the gospel's transforming work in our lives that produces the spiritual fruit that Paul is talking about here. You can't just make yourself more joyful. You can't just want it enough. You can't just make yourself more peaceful. You see, real spiritual growth, it doesn't happen by simply striving to be more virtuous. The only way that kind of transformed life happens is when our very desires are changed themselves. The great 19th century preacher, he, Thomas Chalmers, he summed it up this way. He says, the only way to dispossess a heart of its old affections, its old desires, is by the expulsive power of a new one. 
And if that new affection, if that new desire be the love of God, then what it does is it shall draw the heart of the sinner towards him. You see, the way that we grow up spiritually, the way that we become more and more like Jesus is by being more and more captivated by him. The more we spend time with him, the more time we spend dwelling on who he is and all that he has done for us, what happens is the greater our desire to love and honor and serve him becomes and the less and less our desires for other things, the the sinful desires of our hearts become less and less. You see, the more you embrace his love and the promises of the gospel, the more spiritual fruit will naturally be produced in your life. You see, it's only when you see Jesus' love for you, it's only when you see that he loved you, not on your best day, not when you had all of your, your stuff in a row, not when you had all your life together, but on your worst day, when you were at your worst, when you were at your most rebellious, then that's when Jesus chose to love you. And only it's when you see that he loved you like that, that's the only way you'll be able to love others in that kind of a way. It's, you see, it's only when you see that for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, he did it, for you, on your behalf. That's the only way that you'll be able to have a kind of joy that transcends your circumstances. And it's only when you see the peace that he has made with you while you were his enemy that you'll be able to have a kind of real inner peace. Not only that, you'll be able to be at peace with others who are even opposed to you. It's only when you see how patient, how long-suffering, how gracious and gentle he has been towards you in the midst of your foolishness and your ignorance and your hard-heartedness and your rebelliousness, that you'll be able to be patient with others. You'll be able to forgive the sins of others against you because you see the way that Jesus has patiently forgiven you. It's only when you see his kindness towards you when you see that the great king of the universe, the highest of highs, became the lowest of lows. In kindness, he came towards others to serve them, not because it benefited him. It's only when you see his goodness, his integrity in the midst of impossible situations, and he did it for you, that you'll be filled with a longing to be a person of integrity unto him. It's only when you see his faithfulness to you in spite of your unfaithfulness to him that you'll long to be faithful to him, that you'll be filled with a passion to be faithful to him and faithful to others in your lives. It's only when you experience his gentle correction in your life when you see the ways that he comes alongside you, not in anger, not in pride, not in fury, but graciously, gently coming alongside you to correct you. It's only when you see that that's how he treats you. And that's the only way you'll be able to treat others, be characterized by a kind of gentleness in your attitudes towards others. It's only when you see that he alone satisfies the longings of your soul that you'll be able to control your desires for other things. You see, because your highest desire, the thing you long for most, will be to love him and honor him and serve him. You see, the gospel roots, that's what produces the Spirit's fruits in our lives, nothing else. And when you observe an area in your life where you are fruitless, 
when you, when you observe an area in your life where you are not characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, then it's not, a, it's not an invitation to just work harder at trying to get better at that area. It's a realization that there is something about the gospel that you have not believed and have not applied to your heart and life. You see, when a, when a selfless kind of love does not characterize you, but instead you're full of envy and jealousy, then what you realize is you've forgotten the way that God has selflessly loved you. When, when you are full of anxiety and fear, and when you're constantly at odds with other people, it's because you've forgotten that when you were God's enemy, he made peace with you, so that you might be able to be at peace with others. And so it goes. You see, there's no amount of self-effort, there's no amount of spiritual disciplines that can produce the Spirit's fruit in your life. That happens by walking with Jesus, by dwelling on Him, by reminding yourself of who He is and all that He has done on behalf, by reminding yourself of His love for you, His joy that He pursued that you might have, reminding of his patience towards you, his kindness towards you, his graciousness towards you, his goodness in the face of evil for you, his self-control on your behalf. It's when you remind yourself of those things, how they have been not just, Jesus isn't just your example, but he's done them for you. What happens is what wells up in you is new kinds of desires and new kinds of motivations. And what is produced is the fruit of the Spirit. And you start responding in kind to the way Jesus has responded to you. You see, in remembering the gospel, reminding ourselves about who Jesus is and all that he has done, that's what we're doing when we take communion every week. That's one of the reasons why we do that every week, because we forget all the time. We forget all the time how Jesus has loved and served and been patient with us. We forget his joyfulness for us. We forget all of that kind of stuff. And so we need to remind ourselves of those realities and how God has treated us in Christ and how he's proven those examples on the cross. You see, remembering the gospel is the thing that fuels the transformation that happens in our lives because what it does is it leads us to, to crucify, to die, to, 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 to kill the, the other desires that we have that are for other things other than him. And so we live in step with his spirit. And so communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember Jesus, to remember the fruit of the spirit exemplified in him towards us. And so that in remembering him, we would desire to love and honor and respond to him more than we want anything else. And so this morning as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, then if you've put your trust in Jesus to be the one thing that makes you right with God, then take communion whenever you're ready. Do it with a joyfulness and a thankfulness and a gratitude for him. If you miss the elements on the way in, they're at a table in the foyer. You can grab one on your way out. You don't need to be a member here. You just need, as Paul says, to have belonged to Jesus. But if, if not, if you're here this morning and you're figuring out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him and, and what you think about any of that stuff, or even if you want to follow him in the first place, I just want to know, like, you're welcome here. I'm so glad that you would even come here, that you'd be here with us this morning. You see, the only way to bear the kind of fruit 
that the Bible calls us to have, the only way to be someone who's characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, it's not by wanting it enough. It's not through your own effort. It only happens when by faith you trust Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to give you a new heart with new desires that want to love him and want to serve him and want to obey him. And what comes out of a love for him and a walk with him is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You see, communion, it's just a way for us to remember that. It's not a way to get it. And so this morning, as we take communion, as we sing, I'd encourage you, talk with God. Ask him to show you where your own heart and life is out of line, is out of step with his spirit. When you look at your life, when you see the the ways in which your character does not express, exemplify the, the fruit of the spirit here, Ask God to show you the ways in which that is true. But more than that, ask him to help you from trying to rely on your own effort to change it. Instead, to rely on his transforming work in your heart. Ask him to show you what it is about the gospel that you have not understood, that you have not believed. Ask him to reveal it to your heart in a kind of transforming way so that what gets produced in your life isn't just a virtuous behavior but is a life that's been transformed by the renewing work of the gospel. Cling to Jesus. Cling to his work on your behalf, not only to make you right with God, but to fuel your transformation into his likeness every day. And to that end, let's pray. King Jesus, we come before you this morning and we're grateful. We're grateful that we would get to gather for worship this morning. God, and we just want to come and confess that so often we look at the ways that our lives might be out of line with who you, uh, with what the Bible says we should be or who you call us to be. And instead of trying to trust you, instead of relying on you to be the one that transforms our heart, we start to rely on our own effort and our own energy to bring about a change in us. Jesus, and it never works. It just leads to death and despair. It just leads to frustration. It leads to discouragement because it never works. So Jesus, we want to be a people who your spirit's fruits are exemplified in our lives. And we know that the only way that happens is when the gospel takes deep root in our heart. When we walk with you, dwelling on you, seeing the way that you have, seeing the way that you have loved and served and been patient with us. That's the only way that that transformation happens in our lives. And so over the course of our series here, these coming weeks and months, God, would you be gracious to help connect the dots in our hearts between the truths of the gospel, the truths about who you are and all that you've done on our behalf with the way you call us to live transformed lives. And we ask that as as you help us to connect those dots, that as we come to believe and trust in the gospel more, that what would get produced in us is the fruit of your spirit being made manifest in our lives. And so, God, for our good and for your great glory, we ask that you do all that. Amen.